The Journal presents the Good Information Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Good Information Podcast, a series where the Journal gets to grips with 15 major topics that our audience has told us are impacting their daily lives and focusing their minds on the future. I'm Susan Daly, Managing Editor of The Journal, where the Good Information Project has been giving readers the opportunity to engage directly with editors and journalists on these issues. With you, we've looked at their impact on Ireland and on our place in the wider EU. In this episode, we are asking, how well is the EU and Ireland handling migration? What are our responsibilities to migrants? What are the opportunities and problems we face? And are we as welcoming as we think? We'll answer these questions and more, but here's what you told us about leaving Ireland, coming back or coming here for the first time. I left Australia two years ago to join my partner in Ireland, who is originally from the Middle East. And Australia's immigration process is dehumanising and exploitative. Coming here was great though things initially seemed a bit chaotic with trying to get a house in Dublin and a bank account and PPSN. Despite a clear claim to residency, we had to wait and apply later. But even then, my partner would not get replies from INIS. But I, with my Irish last name, would get immediate responses. Besides the stress of housing, everything here is excellent. Every country has the right to protect their borders. And every citizen has a right to back this without being branded xenophobic or racist. Migration has to be controlled and managed properly. Surely this has to be understood. Sickens me when people say a country has a right to protect its borders from refugees. Who are these refugees? They are fellow human beings fleeing conflict. We have been lucky to be raised in a stable, safe environment. Yet we deny our brothers and sisters a chance of that same stable, safe environment. Shameful. I emigrated many years ago when a life on the dole was my only other choice and it was one of the best things I ever did. It gave me the chance to go to loads of other places I would never have been able to afford or have even dreamed of. I came back a few years before the crash and have been fortunate to find work consistently since but there are times I really do ask myself why I bothered at all and wonder if I would have been better off staying where I was. I emigrated many years ago when a life on the dole was my only other choice and it was one of the best things I ever did. It gave me the chance to go to loads of other places I would never have been able to afford or have even dreamed of. Uh, I came back a few years before the crash and I've been fortunate to find work consistently since. But there are times I really do ask myself why I bothered at all and I wonder if I would have been better off staying where I was. So what's the wider view? Here's the Good Information Project producer Carl Kinsler. He has wider research on Irish attitudes towards migration, as polled during the Afghanistan refugee crisis last year. Do Irish people want the government to do more? The Irish and European response to migration is something that has changed dramatically in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. By April of 2022, at least 17,000 refugees had fled Ukraine for Ireland. Anecdotally, Irish people are broadly supportive of this approach towards Ukrainian refugees, which has also involved expedited pathways for things like driver's licenses and access to education. 
Polling conducted by the Good Information Project in conjunction with Ireland Thinks in 2021 found that a majority of people believed Ireland should have been doing more to aid refugees from Afghanistan who were fleeing their country following the resurgence of the Taliban. One third of a sample group of 1,000 said that Ireland's target of taking in 230 Afghan refugees was too low, while one in five said that we should be taking in more than 1,000 refugees. 16% said that we should be taking in less than the targeted 230. Using this polling data as a guiding star, we can take away that younger respondents tend to be more supportive of taking in refugees. 37% of the 18 to 24 demographic said that Ireland should take in over 1,000 refugees, a proportion which fell to 13% for the 55 to 64 cohort and 14% for those over the age of 65. Across the board though, Irish people tended to be supportive of taking in more refugees than the government had planned. In line with this view, 62% responded positively to the question, should Ireland open or expand its immigration programmes to allow Afghan people living here to bring family members to this country legally? A level of support that was consistently high across several demographics such as age, gender, education level and political party affiliation. Bearing in mind that attitudes may have changed due to the circumstances of the war in Ukraine, Irish people in 2021 tended to be critical of how the EU handles immigration. When asked, do you think the EU has handled immigration well in the past decade, less than a quarter of respondents said yes, while 6 out of 10 said no. 17% said that they didn't know. While it is not clear what exact criticisms are in question, we may be able to tease it out from other data. A quarter of our respondents told us they equate being anti-immigration to holding a racist belief, whereas just 14% said that they would vote for an anti-immigration party. This suggests that the majority of those who are against the EU's policy on immigration opposed it because it hasn't been welcoming enough, rather than too welcoming. No matter the age, more than half of all cohorts believe that the EU has not done a good job on immigration over the last 10 years, though the percentage of those who say they don't know is high for some groups. One in five for those over 65, and one in five for those between 34 and 55. Getting a handle on Ireland's attitude towards immigration is increasingly complicated, particularly as global events give rise to further refugee crises. Our poll suggests, however, that the majority of Irish people tend to tilt in favour of doing more for refugees, whether they are coming from Afghanistan or Ukraine. Thanks, Carl. Now let's get to some key questions on how the EU is dealing with the migrant crisis. I'm joined by reporter Gráinne Nye, who has all the facts. Welcome, Gráinne. Now tell me this, the EU has no dedicated search and rescue operation in the Mediterranean. So what role is Ireland playing in the rescuing of refugees? So the EU's initial response to the migration crisis of 2015 or the huge increase of migrants coming into Europe in 2015 was to take a kind of a military approach, which was where they got uh, defensive and military ships to respond to stranded boats in the Mediterranean primarily that had been kind of coaxed. Um, into making the treacherous journey by smugglers primarily and that the idea would be that uh, they would tell people they could uh, get get go to a flee to a better life in Europe, but that they would be stranded there, and that would be up to the coast guard or military ships then to pick them up. And that was their primary uh, primary response to it as a kind of a knee jerk reaction. That's how Ireland got involved. It's Ellie Roisin and Ellie Etna ships were responding to these um, boats that were floating in the Mediterranean. Some of them quite unstable and not really made to make such a long journey. And they picked up migrants, gave them medical care, and then brought them usually to Europe. Um, that was the initial response. That operation, Operation Sophia, was wound down, which was criticised by a lot of NGOs, including 20 
Irish ones primarily, and the EU moved to a more hostile, I suppose, response, which was to fund Frontex, which manages EU borders. And what that does is it basically, it's a security kind of thing rather than a a body that would uh, respond specifically to refugees. But Ireland's role, I suppose, overall is quite limited, probably due to its geographical location away from the front line of the migration crisis. Gronje, what is the EU's proposed pact on migration? So the aim of the migration pact is to create a faster process to uh, deal with applications from asylum seekers and also a stronger governance of migration. So those that were hoping for a reform of the process, that it would be less hostile, were a little bit disappointed. But basically, the EU wants kind of every EU country to share the burden of the migration process. So it's not just Italy and Greece on the front line dealing with the whole um, migrants that are fleeing to the EU as a whole. So what it aims to do is to share that burden out by saying that some EU countries can choose to house migrants and asylum seekers. They can pay for reception centres or they can have the uh, duty to return migrants that don't qualify as asylum seekers to their country of origin. And in a case of a crisis like they had the EU had in 2015, that they wouldn't get a choice between Um, building reception centres because you'd be in a crisis situation. You'd have to choose between housing migrants or returning them to their country of origin. They also had this controversial deal with third countries like Turkey that would take in asylum seekers for a fee. Um, And, you know, recently we've seen the UK do something similar almost with Rwanda and see, see a lot of criticism of that. But that is another thing that the EU has done and has been widely criticised as working for the EU, but not for migrants. So that is the aim of the the migration pact. It's obviously not approved yet, but uh, it's a very contentious issue for Europe still. And where we are now, how has the war in Ukraine rewritten how Ireland and Europe is managing the influx of refugees? I think it's changed things dramatically, purely from the point of view that the EU is not in denial about how huge the crisis is. We've already seen five million refugees flee Ukraine in the space of two and a bit months. It is a huge crisis that Europe is facing. And it is kind of acknowledged that it has to do things differently than it did before. And one of the ways it's doing that is kind of putting bureaucracy administration aside momentarily at least, and saying anyone in Ukraine who flees the country after the invasion started on the 24th of February will get temporary protection in any EU country uh, for up to a year. That could be extended after a year. We don't know yet. And they're saying you don't need particular travel documentation. It'd be great if you did have them, but you don't absolutely need it, which is also a big thing for the EU when they're so strict about that in almost all other forms of uh, its, its way of dealing with policy and government, particularly in relation to Brexit. Um, The other thing is that EU countries are not getting financial help to house Ukrainian refugees, um, which is something that the EU is doing with the Migration Pact, for example, but it's not expecting uh, countries to kind of deal with it. um, Sorry, I'll start that that bit again. The other thing that is not happening is the EU is not giving financial help to countries to deal with the Ukrainian refugee crisis. It is countries have to rely on their own funds to kind of house refugees and provide all these services. So, So, for example, in Ireland, we're using a COVID fund or part of the COVID fund that we haven't used up this year to house Ukrainian refugees and provide all these services. And there's a question about what happens after that. We will probably see something in the budget this year towards kind of um, providing for 
supports and services long term next year and beyond. But at the moment, it's contained in that uh, COVID fund that the government provided for in the last budget. Um, but again, countries on the front line net closest to Ukraine are asking the EU for additional supports because they've taken in so many refugees. Poland, the Czech Republic, the Baltic trio of, of Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania are all asking the EU for funds that hasn't been granted yet. But it it is a kind of a quite heavy administrative burden for them at the moment. And the EU has yet to respond to that. And then, you know, that's all great. But the long term question is, what is the long term strategy about what happens to Ukrainian refugees as the war goes on? If it goes on for years, if it goes on for months, some might want to return, some might want to stay. The EU and Ireland have yet to answer that question because we're still quite early on in this crisis. We'll give the last word to Adam Daly, who cleared up some misperceptions about the asylum-seeking process in our open newsroom webinar. The way it works is that um, if you're seeking asylum, you can go to the country that you want to go to. Um, I think sometimes it's forgotten that there's just agency within. Um, if you're seeking asylum, you are, you can seek asylum in the country that you want. You might necessarily have it approved, but there is that where you're not obliged to just because you pass through a country and you are considered. Um, a refugee, it's not a case that um, you have to stay there. Um, and so the way that I, I suppose the guiding principle for a lot of countries is the UN Refugee Convention. And that makes no case anywhere that somebody has to um, seek asylum in the first safe country, let's say, that they land in. Um, and at the moment, and the UN, at the uh, EU Migration Pact, I should say, is kind of looking to overhaul um, how the system works at the moment. So the country that you first seek asylum in um, that, that, so let's say if someone arrives in Ireland to seek asylum um, and then they end up going to a different country, it's the first country that you applied for asylum in that's responsible for, I suppose, returning you to your home country. So it's it's quite complicated at the minute. So they're looking to kind of, um, that's one of the areas that they're looking to streamline. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Information Podcast. Today's episode was edited and produced by Adrian Carty with research by Carl Kinsler and additional journalism from the Good Information Project team. Go to thejournal.ie to find out more about the entire Good Information Project and email us at goodinformation@thejournal.ie with your feedback and questions. If you want to hear more episodes in this series, find us at the Good Information Podcast on the Journal app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Good Information Project is co-funded by Journal Media and a grant programme from the European Parliament.